I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Jonathan Cohen and his partner and CEO, Sarah Leff, joined us for a beautiful discussion on partnership. We learned how they met as students at Parsons and how they've evolved together over the past 15 years. Jonathan Cohen and Sarah Leff, I am so excited to have both of you virtually here. You're virtually together, correct? Correct. (laughs) Yes, yes. Where are you both? We're both in New York now. I was in California for like the last five months and I came back and did the 14-day quarantine and then Sarah and I reunited. And Jonathan, how long were you in California and were you in LA? No, I was in San Diego. My family lives in San Diego. So I was there. I left in like the end of March, like right when the lockdown happened and my sister had a baby actually. So I was like being the nanny. You grew up in San Diego. Yeah, my family immigrated from Mexico City and then I was born in San Diego. Which is probably my favorite city in the entire world. I know you love that place. It's great. It's an amazing, amazing place. Have you gone back? I mean, I haven't. I think the last time was there was two years ago and now with everything going on, who knows when the next time I'll be there. It's an incredible, incredible place. One of my favorite things also about Mexico City is when you, I'm always really fascinated by population. (laughs) And I remember years ago going and being like, you know, when you fly in and you see, I mean, it is a massive city and the population is either 20 or 50 million. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But minor difference in numbers. They absolutely have no idea. And it's like, it's not a small gap. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's so funny because you know, I'm also Jewish. So like we're Jewish Mexicans, which yeah. is like this really foreign thing for people to comprehend. And I'm like, well, listen, when there's like 20 to 40 million people in the city, like just like, there's going to be some Jews in there, you know, so that's how it works. But it's the population is insane there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Special place. So what's your first fashion memory, Jonathan? First fashion memory. I think it was Madonna and the comb bra. Oh my that God. was kind of, yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like five or six, but you know, as I get older, I understand why it impacted me more, but you know, it's just something that seeing how a piece of clothing, this top, just represented such a time and like you know what it is you know who it came from you know what it represented and I think that that's when I really if I look back now that's when I saw like the impact that fashion can have on culture and it was it was Jean-Paul Gaultier wasn't it yeah Jean-Paul Gaultier that whole almost all of her tours right yeah I think it was a lot of her beginning tours I think she still works with him but yeah, I remember going to the Brooklyn Museum when they had the gold tags and the comb bra was there and it was just like, it was like this like full circle moment for me. Is it made of like velvet strips? I feel like it looked like it was soft and it was wrapped around, right? It was like a- Yeah, it was like a lot of top stitching hmm. that like went through the cone and the construction was just like, I still, the construction I think holds up to this day. It still looks like, I'm like, how did he make that? 
Yeah. You know, it, it's a it's a really incredible piece, and how she styled it with like these loose trousers. Oh, the pants were so rad. The it's pie ponytail. Appeared. It's definitely appeared on our mood board more than once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other Madonna looks appeared on the mood board? <laughs> um, I mean, we did a collection that you guys carried that was based on her that was like the sex book mixed with Cy Twomley because like why not right and, um, <laughs> and it was it was like these erotic flowers and um you know so that that was a very I mean the sex book was in a weird way really influential me too I mean when I was in yeah. college and I remember going to the library to see it because you couldn't see it in stores I don't think I, I don't know and it was like locked up in the library and I just was like, oh my God, it was crazy. Sarah, where are you from? I grew up in Atlanta. Oh, you did? I don't, yeah. know. I don't remember that. Huh. Yeah. So Jeffrey's is my like biggest fashion memory. I would sneak out of high school to go <laughs> shopping at Jeffrey's and babysat all through middle school and high school to make purchases there. Oh, I love it. Do you remember your first purchase from Jeffrey? They were a pair of Brian Atwood heels. Really? What? Yes. I bet a great color. They're black, and I still have them in my closet. They're ridiculously high, and I'm all for a good heel. But I remember going, like, going to lunch at Phipps Plaza and getting, like, always checking out what new shoes were in the window yeah. with Bob Ellis. Well, Bob Ellis is one of my first fashion memories, too. It's just the best. Wasn't it? Yeah. Did you have a style icon as a child? I don't know. I mean, I always loved to shop and I loved to dress. I would dress for every occasion. And growing up, I always had a school uniform. The weekends were definitely my week, my time to explore different elements of who I was through dresses. All the school uniform people are really big into dressing. Yeah. <laughs> and also super, super creative, I think, because you, you had to judge it and kind of make it your own every day as well. And, so you, and like push the boundaries yeah. of it. You know? <laughs> I think they probably became, all became great stylists, uh, you know? Yeah. Well, Jonathan, will you talk to me a little bit more about your heritage and sort of how it, how it finds its way into your collections? Yeah, I think for me, I'm such a mix of different things. You know, like my family came from Mexico City. I grew up in San Diego. Then I moved to New York when I was 18 and, you know, I'm gay, you know, it's like all these things that have kind of influenced the way I design because it's what makes me, me, you know, it's something I think I really fought a lot because I didn't want to be labeled anything. And then as I've gotten older and become more confident, like all these things have made me who I am, you know, I think with Mexico City, you have just that spirit of life that they celebrate in that city. And I think, Laura, you can probably understand that like when you go there there's such a livelihood there and there's such a and that reflects in the way they dress and I remember when I'd go there it's like you don't wear shorts you know there's more respect how how you present yourself Mm -hmm. and then you know growing up in San Diego which is like grungy like grew up going to like rock concerts and you know punk concerts and crowd surfing and all that and the skaters and the surfers so it was like this kind of mix of this like really like posh city life mixed with this grunge life, which has always informed my my vision of like what beauty is and how complex it is. And, you know, and then you throw New York in that. You came to New York for college. Did you come for, was it art school? Yeah, I went to Parsons. So that must've been just a total collision of everything. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, it was amazing for me because it was four years to just like incubate my ideas. And, you know, I, you know, 
growing up in California in Southern California, there wasn't much, there wasn't the, I mean, we had the internet as I grew older, but it wasn't that predominant. So it's like, I really wasn't exposed to a lot of fashion. I really had to like, kind of look at it through my mom's magazines. And, you know, when we would go to LA, I'd go to Maxfield and, you know, also being in the closet that kind of suppressed a lot of that. I came out when I was like 19, like when I moved to New York. So it was just this whole new, new world that just like I exploded when I moved here. Wow. Did you know that you always wanted to be a designer? Yeah, I think I didn't kind of pinpoint it, you know, but I was always sketching when I was little. And since I can remember, I was just always drawing. And then I got really into Japanese animation when I was like nine or 10, I'd always focus a lot on the costumes and would like design, you know, just the little details on it and always like making their like superhero costumes, like just cooler and like, you know, more fashionable. And then I think I had, but I took this like really hard art class when I was in my senior year in high school. And I had already applied to like business schools because I was like, I can't do fashion. Like that's not a, that's not a thing. And then I really realized that that's what I wanted to do. And I started taking sewing classes that summer. And I basically went to college with a transfer application to Parsons. Starting knew I would transfer over. And when I told my parents, they were like, they're like, yeah, we were wondering why you didn't apply to art school. <laughs> Was it the same with when you came out or they were supportive of that as well? Super supportive. You know, I think, I don't think we realize how far we've come. Yeah. Um, in that respect, like it was almost 15, 16 years ago when it, so I was like 19. Um, I'm 35 now, so I do the math. Um, but yeah, I think it was a different time. So I think they were super understanding, super supportive, and just like were on the journey with me and kind of like were figuring out as I figured it out. You know, it's not like I came out and I had all the answers. You know, it's a lot of work that took because it's, sure. it's, that's 19 years of suppressing who you are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how did y'all, were you both in school at the same time? We met at, we met through friends at Parsons. I was in the business design program. So Jonathan and I always kind of connected and sat down and like really were passionate about each other's passions and going through what we loved about fashion and just supporting one another through the journey of school. Well, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I think it's such a genius thing that they do. And I don't think they've always done it. Have they? Business? It's called, it, when I was there, it was called design management. I'm, it's, I'm sure it's something with sustainability now. I think it was the most brilliant program simply because you're learning, you're getting a business degree based on the art world. And the art world isn't the same thing as you know, running a bank. When right. you're looking at numbers, your losses and your projections and how timelines don't work the same way when running a fashion business and what marketing budgets mean and a fashion show is completely different than if you were looking at a traditional large-scale business. I think the most beneficial part is that my professors were in the industry. So, you know, at 6 p.m., you sat down with a teacher who just came out of the office who, if it meant they were running Victoria's Secret or they were helping, they were like a CFO of a smaller brand and you were learning things Things, but it was applying to what they were going through. So it was constantly people of the industry going in weekly lectures and, and how it applied to real life. And you saw that more and more in internships. 
Is it a program they've had for a long time or is it relatively new? I think it was like five or six years old when I started in 2005. So, you know, it's going on at least 20 years at this point and it keeps evolving and it seems that more and more schools are adding that element to it. I think it was the best of both worlds, like being in that component, like finding how design intertwines and how to deal with like a creative and how it applies to a business, but then also being in New York and getting to support everything I was learning in the classroom with real life experiences with internships. And do they put y'all together? Like, do you have projects with the art, the artist? Not, not too much. I don't know if they do more now. Um, I mean, Jonathan and I took like art history classes together and other liberal arts elements. Yeah, um, and I would just copy off Sarah's notes. It was really, it was very productive. <laughs> that, that's the other question. I'm a studio art major and we definitely had no business classes. <laughs> Trust me on that. Jonathan, did you have to take some business classes? I did towards the end, but you know, the, I think the issue was is that you're so focused on your studio classes that the, you just didn't have the passion or the time to really focus on the business aspect. I think where I was really lucky is that my mom had her own business since I was little when, you know, she moved to America and, you know, was just like pounding the pavement and then ended up owning her own company. And I, so I grew up in a very business minded household. So that was kind of a big education for me on business. Granted, she's in a completely other industry, but that was always the conversation in the house. I'm really fascinated by your partnership and kind of how that got started. For me, I knew that like, if I really wanted to do what I had to, wanted to do and like to the best of my ability, it would mean I couldn't focus on this business as much as I would like to. So having a business partner was essential to me. And the great thing about Sarah and myself is that it just happened. It was very organic. We were friends. I think that's why it's worked so well because it wasn't this like forced relationship. It was just the both of us wanted to do this together and start this company together. And we actually said our freshman year, one day we'll do this. And we had no particular, I think we both felt like we would be working for someone for five to 10 years before considering it. And then one day we just decided it was time. One of the things I've also really always loved about your business is that you really are, and I don't know if you are legally, but you seem to be equal partners. A lot of the young designers we go see, it's like a person in the back room <laughs> making the, the business decisions and sort of you know, dropping the hammer on you. But I, you've always been really out there and part of it, Sarah. And, and I think that really works. It really has been helpful. Like we fill each other's weaknesses and you know, add strengths to the situation and the conversation. And we're both heavily involved in all process between like partnerships and design elements and down to like, you know, different fabric strategies. And I think it's so important because we both need to be having the conversations when it comes to the clients with like in fittings, as well as how the business is doing and how, how each style is performing. But Sarah's really great because she, she never has hindered my creativity you know, she'll, she'll manage it in a sense that it's like, okay, you want to do these kind of over the top pieces, but then you need to really focus on giving me like these types of pieces that like stores can really buy into. So she's very good at balancing me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sarah, are you focused on the actual selling of the product or are you focused on how to have something produced or is it all of that? I mean, it starts like every season starts with fabrics. So that's something John, like it's over and also over the years I've like, between both of us, I know Jonathan's schedule, like how, like when he comes with one sketch, I know what to expect in a week and like his process. <laughs> and it all starts with, for us, it all starts with textile development and then the rest of the collection kind of fills in from there. So Jonathan works on the textiles and we kind of sit down and look at what has worked, what we're missing, and then also talk about what we're craving to do, like what's something that we feel will push us and really what we're passionate about each season and then how to make that work. Like who's the right partners with textiles, who are the right factories, the right pattern makers. We go through thousands and thousands of sketches. And like at the end of the day, we walk out and we're both thrilled with what's what the final sketches are to make sure like we have enough you know, for the bread and butter pieces of the collection, how we're going to map, how we're going to produce that at a larger scale and like what pieces can be produced as one-offs and how to talk to each store about why this piece is special for them. And from there, just going into both of us are in every fitting and market. I think that part's unusual, actually. I think that that, you know, having your sort of business partner be so creatively involved, I think is unusual. And I think that may be why it works so well. Yeah, I think it's really important, especially like, let's be honest, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a gay man designing for women, you know, so to not have a woman next to me would, would be, I feel a little almost antiquated in the sense that I feel like fashions change a lot that it, that you had these men kind of dictating how a woman should dress. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't feel right to me, you know, like I love to inspire and I love to create things, but I like, I'm very respectful and I love women. You know, so I think it's really important to me that I have a lot of women around me that can contribute to that conversation while we're designing. And we had that conversation like in fittings, like how easy is this to get on? If you're wearing this, can you have your hair and makeup already done before putting it on? Is someone a size eight with a chest able to put it on feel as great as someone walking down the runway? And I think it's just important conversations like how something grades and how we'll be able to produce it. And those, those things are very important when in the fitting because that fitting eventually then turns into how we're going to go about producing, who's going to, you know, what kind of hands are needed to make each garment, how many fabrications we can offer it in and what would be the next steps. We talk about that a lot in the store, just about reality and relevance and kind of like, how are people really getting dressed right now? You know, and I think I do think having a woman with you is helpful in that. And also mm -hmm. about how how women age and at certain times you don't want your arms to be shown and, you know, all those things that totally I don't think are I don't think, you know, innately. No, I think that's why trunk shows. I mean, Sarah and I, a big passion of ours was always the stores. That's where we really got our education of fashion. And that's where we felt like the magic would happen. So for us, those trunk shows were so important because I learned so much. And it was never like you need to dumb down the design. It was more like, okay, I'm going to go this route with you. But like, if you're going to do this, you have to know like it needs to fit different here. Like this color doesn't work on me. It was a really huge education for us, I feel, to do those trunk shows. Just so you know, you're really, really good at them. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, people, people love to be with you and they love to meet both of you. I mean, I think it just really helps to know. I mean, talk about sustainability, I guess. It helps to know the makers, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I miss it. I'm, that's one thing in this lockdown that I really miss is the trunk shows. You know, you meet so many people. And even I remember when we did the last trunk show with you when we were with Irene 
in uh, Mir Makati. You know, we made friends. And I remember one of your clients was trying to set me up with our gay son. I was <laughs> so excited. <laughs> it's just, it's a really great way to connect with people. And like, you meet such an, you know, incredible people from all over. It's also such a great conversation. One of my latest memories of being in your store last was um, one of the clients who had bought a fall 16 blouse and slash skirt. And she wore the blouse in that day to tell me. And then she told me every way she did wear that look. And that particular skirt is one of my favorite items. And just hearing her tell me all the different items every season she bought and what she loves more and how she loves it and what she wants to buy next is such a great conversation. And to understanding like, okay, so you bought this this season. Why did you stop buying this? Or what do you, what are you missing? Or what are you still wanting from us? And it's nice because at the end of the day, those who are buying your clothes should have a stronger voice than anyone. Absolutely. And I think that for so long in this industry, the feedback and the data that you've gotten probably has been from department stores and spreadsheets and sort of we sold style number 462. You know, <laughs> we need another one of those in a different print this season. And there's no real feedback from that. You know, there's no real, like, why did they buy that? You know, what, what, you know, because the salespeople, I mean, I don't know, I'm not, not to bash department stores, but I just think this blind, impersonal feedback is not that helpful. Maybe it is. Well, at the end of the day, you're creating product that people don't necessarily need. Right. So it's really based on emotion True. and want. So when you kind of have this like spreadsheet of like what's selling and what's not, it doesn't really give you that emotion behind it, you know, versus like when I'm with you and you have, and you see a client has a visceral reaction to something good or bad, then you really understand. And I think that's what kind of drives sales at the end. It yeah. comes back also to what we were talking about earlier in the, in the conversation <laughs> Uh, that, you know, when we go into an appointment, what we want to do first is pull the things that really appeal to us to our gut, rather than if you come into the process and say, all right, we need to see everything in dress number 462, everything, you know, everything you've done. And right, you know, and and there's so much lost in, in that. Jonathan, what's what's the design process been in the middle of COVID? It's been interesting, because for me, and I'm just going to speak for myself, Sarah, and then you can kind of add in this, but we both felt that we needed to take a season off to really understand and take in this moment to know where we're going to go. And it was a little scary at first. We didn't know what would happen or how people would react to us taking a season off, but I'm so happy we did because I felt like we were really able to process everything and really understand how we can make things better in the future for us both from a design standpoint to like a emotional standpoint like you know how we want our lives to look mm-hmm. so it was hard at the beginning because it was the first i just been designing clothing for the last 20 years nonstop. Right. you know with no no pause and this was the first time that i've taken a pause and it's totally changed our, our way our outlook on how we're doing things and I'm, I just, I feel like just in the last few weeks really like hit a stride of sketching again. I like thought I lost it for a second, you know? (laughs) And then it's come back and I love what we're creating now. And we had, Sarah and I went to Washington Square Park to me and kind of go over the first round of sketches. And we were, and it was, I feel like the first time, Sarah, maybe correct me wrong, where like I brought you my first draft of ideas and we were both like just super excited about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I think we're ready yeah. to jump in. And I think taking yeah. a little bit of time and getting off of the traditional hamster wheel allowed us to like both reflect on like what we love, what, you know, what we're missing, like what we want to do next, like where are the passions and like what, what to put that focus on first making everyone happy. But we really had to like deprogram ourselves the last six months and be like, okay, let's not worry if people are doing a resort. Like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do spring this season. We're going to take this time to restructure and kind of recalibrate because when else are we going to be able to do that? And yeah. For me, I feel like just like, I, I don't really care when, when you bring me the product, just show me something beautiful. I'll buy it, you know? A hundred percent. And that's, you know, that's something I've really like... I don't know why it took me so long to realize that, but I'm like, if the product (laughs) is good, they're going to come, you know, it's like, if you really get someone excited about something, they're going to move the mountain to get it. And so that's what I need to focus on is really creating incredible things that you're going to want and not shoving it down people's throat every few months. We talked about this several years ago when a few young American designers stopped showing, what was it? Maybe they, uh, they were just only going to show twice a year, but they were combining yeah. both of the, you know, both of the collections into two two collections a year, and, yeah. and everybody lasted about, you know, eight months. Right. <laughs> and, and it was so annoying because you know everybody was it was like this big deal like w- you know are y'all going to be okay if we only show you a collection twice a year? We were like, uh, yeah, we'll be great. Thanks. <laughs> like, please yeah. show us twice a year. You can give us however many deliveries you want, but to understand how much it takes for us to see those four collections, it's insane. And it, and it's like, and for what? Like for what? And truly, the the ones that did it lasted. I mean, maybe one lasted a year and a half, but most of them lasted about eight months and it was all about money and it was all about department stores. Exactly. And that that makes me sick, you know? I mean, it's like, again, for what? (laughs) Well, you know, we would have, we've only done two collections since we've started. And sometimes I even think that's too much. You know, it's like when you think of like a musician, like they're not pumping out albums every six months. Right. You know, Um, they have time to like see the world and feel it. And that's very much like, to me, what a fashion designer does. It's like they really feel the temperature of the world and then reflect it. So like, if you're not living and you're not really like part of the world, it's, it's difficult to like come up with something that's really powerful. But I think, you know, I started seeing during trunk shows again, that the client was just overwhelmed. You know, mm-hmm. she would be like, okay, you like this collection just came in, but in two weeks, their new collection comes in for resort. And she's like, but I'm trying to buy this. And now, you know, and then I think they just end up like getting overwhelmed and not, not even paying attention. So I think there's something to like keeping it a little more precious and not so fast paced. Well, and also edited and also back to that yeah. micro influencer thing is just kind of like, just show me the good stuff, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. they need to have all the, this extraneous stuff just be, I mean, because the spreadsheet said you needed these files again we really don't that's the thing and i think i hope everyone kind of walks out of this situation and understands like focus on what you love and put out there that works like do what is necessary for your brand and what tells your story we don't need to white t-shirts because in excel says we need to have a price like you need to fill this price point like put out something instead put out three less pieces and put out what's your passion about and tells your brand story 
Sarah, how has the business shifted for you? I think, you know, Jonathan and I, for, and we had, like you're saying, we had this conversation a few years ago, like how to get on that pre-schedule. And for us, we developed our textiles and it was just never an option. And we saw the need. So taking a little bit break, skipping a season has been wonderful. Identifying like what ship windows mean to us, like right. who, where we'll be shipping, who we'll be working with. And we've avoided department stores all along to, to avoid just being a number on an Excel sheet. Um, That's probably throughout COVID, I think it was, we've launched several projects that have been unbelievable. When we started the conversations in March and just started sending thank yous with Jonathan's illustrations, Jonathan's illustrations have always been very powerful to people when it means we send thank you notes or birthday cards and turning that with our, every collection always intertwines with flowers and turning the concept of his illustrations into a, a new element of our business has been unbelievable. We launched our flower shop the first week of April with six digital arrangements and to see all of these people turn to those illustrations to send messages of hope, condolence, love, just thinking of you has just been this like overwhelming experience and you know other designers coming to our site to send there was one designer that went came to the site and bought 30 of her friends different arrangements just to say hello and she was thinking of them wow so it was just like nice to constantly be having new conversations of what flowers mean and how they intertwine and how people are using that when everyone is like questioning what are you wearing on zooms what are you you know what are you doing and when everything was on a shutdown and understanding where capabilities were when it meant new york factories were down italian mills were down still finding ways to create and still carry on a conversation yeah, it's been amazing to see that part of our business flourish, like all these like external projects. It's like we definitely have not been twiddling our thumbs since lockdown. We've been really busy. And for us, mass producing our collection has never been the focus. We want to make special pieces. And sometimes that means you're only able to make three of it because what it what it means to actually do that. And I think understanding that there are other elements within our brand that allow us to grow and put our hands out there without having to produce a thousand of something to make that speak loudly. One of the things that we did recently, which was so funny, we had, and we do it every year, a couple times a year, we do reviews and they're 360 peer reviews. And it was so funny because in the beginning of every one, we were all kind of like, okay, well, this is sort of a moot point because now at this point, we're all family. Like, you know, any of the things that, you know, bugged me about you or the things things that you were doing poorly don't even matter anymore because we've gone through this trauma together and we are literally family forever from this. What's the biggest way that you two have grown as partners through COVID, but also, I guess, in the last 10 years? What's always been great about Sarah and myself and something we established very much from the beginning is that communication. Like, we're not scared to have, like, hard conversations with one another. You know, it's not like it's always been perfect. So we really, I think, no, but, like, in a, like that's just rela- any relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's You know, so, but I think what's been so strong about relationship is that we're not scared to talk about those things, you know, and really to kind of evolve from that. And so I've always thought that was one of our strongest points is that we really, we have really good communication, even through these last six months where it was the first time we hadn't really seen each other for that long period of time so really like you know I think for everyone it tested that like sense of communication with people and you know of of course because everyone's feeling so down like you're dealing with all this like you know more emotional mental stuff I think that that's that's something that really has um, stood out to me 
don't you think, Sarah? Yeah, completely. And I think just in general, I mean, we've been, you know, we've known each other for 15 years now and focusing on how to start this business like 10 years ago, you grow as people, but so much of our life has grown together. So it's like one of those relationships that's so important in both personally and professionally. And I think like both of our families have all like become each other's families and it's just this important thing of like communication with about everything, how you're feeling, what's going on, you know, what distractions, like how we're feeling both on business and personal, or they all intertwine so much in a creative component. And I definitely think we're starting to really consider a lot more personal lives, you know, where before we kind of put it to the side. I mean, we, even leading up to the lockdowns, we were, we, you know, the outbreak happened in Italy and our reaction was like, well, we're still going to Paris for market. You know, and like you kind of think of that and you're like, we should have put our health first, you know? So I think that's something that we really like. It was kind of a a wake up call where like, you know, we we can't do this or else we won't be able to do this for the rest of of our lives, which is what we want to do. What's your greatest hope for the next 10 years of the business or, or for the partnership? I think people don't realize like Sarah and I were like 25 and 23 when we started the company. <laughs> so we were, and we're like, you know, we're still like pretty young. I mean, I'm 35, but we've grown a lot, you know, and our, even the people around us have grown a lot. So it's like, you know, when we started, our friends couldn't afford our clothing and now they like buy one to two pieces, you know? So it, it's, it's, it's a completely different ball game. So, but you know, this is something I, I've always said I want to do for the rest of my life. So, you know, I kind of want to keep growing and keep growing the business. And, you know, I would love to have a store one day. I think that's something that we've always talked about, but I don't think right now would be the right time for that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? I think it's just seeing us grow. I mean, and enter different fields. I mean, the flower shop and how we were able to interact and carry the conversation of our ready to wear into a different division. And we recently launched pillows. And I, I just want to see us grow and kind of carry on the story and not just be limited to one thing. Yeah. And we just we just la- launched um, a stationary collaboration. You know, people in the South will love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been great. So just to be able to do all these new things that kind of add to the add to the story has been really amazing. I love it. I would. I'm just going to put this out there. I'd love to do a movie one day. Like, I'd love to do costumes for a movie. Oh, I love so, it. Yeah, that's something I'd love to do. <laughs> Sarah, are you game with that? <laughs> yes, completely. We ask our guests what they wore to the prom, and I know yours are going to be exciting. Oh, Sarah's my, I mean, mine, you know, I was in the closet. I asked this girl out who had a boyfriend. <laughs> it was kind of the poor thing. Like, she was such a trooper. Uh, what did I wear? I mean, I'll, I will tell you, I do remember my bar mitzvah suit. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so that was, and my, and my mom's dress, that was a big thing that shaped my sense of fashion. I, for my, so we'll go to my bar mitzvah because prom is a little sad. <laughs> my bar mitzvah, we got like this, like, pinstripe blue Valentino suit, like, you know, off, off, off sacks. Yeah. And I just thought it was, and I was, I was really overweight growing up. So it was like, you know, we found the suit and it just, I felt so cool. And then I wore like a baby blue shirt underneath with no tie. And it, I felt really cool in it. But my mom, I remember she wore at that time, bad Julie Mishka was like a big thing. And she found this bad Julie Mishka dress that was short though. So it was above the knee. Mm-hmm. So imagine that going into temple with like these lace sleeves. 
And I just thought it was so cool because I was so used to going to these bar mitzvahs with all these like moms and all these like big gowns. And she just walked in like this little kind of like slightly mini dress. It was really, I, I just, and that kind of was like shaped like how evening looks so different. Yeah, so, yeah. And you're so I thought, Yeah, I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, how about you? I had a black tulle cocktail dress that was all hand embroidered. It was everyone wore like puffy gowns. And I remember mine tied at the shoulder and had like a low back. I think I still have it. Any accessories, shoes, hair, anything you remember? I remember hating my prom hair. Um, <laughs> Who didn't? My God. I know. I definitely know I had black heels from Bob Ellis for my Love shoe. it. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much, y'all, for talking with me today. I, lo- I love being with you, and I'd love to be with you in real life soon. Soon, yeah, soon, soon, we will. Soon. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.